So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Thursday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm still Rico Shields, and over to my left, and I actually now know almost precisely over to my left and a little of the front, right over there, <laughs> Jane Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jane? I'm great. If you know precisely in which direction I am, do you also happen to know how far away I am? No, I still don't know that. I still haven't looked that up, but... Wow. There was uh, something with this phone that changed or updated or anyway, there was a notification. And when I clicked it, it opened this map thing and it not only knew my location, it knew which way I was facing. So I was able to turn and get that. Wow. Wow, but, that's pretty cool. But distance, not so much. <laughs> We're really going to have to look that up one of these days. We're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't... So, what's up? What's new? What's Even what's Google doesn't on? know what's... what that is. Houston, Texas to Sutton QC. It's like Creative Mathematics Workshop Calendar. What? <laughs> and then the Sutton Insurance Agency in Houston. So, it doesn't know where you are, Sutton, Quebec. See? <laughs> How far you is know. it? Did you Google just it? Like, I did. I Googled it. I'm close. Just because I'm close to the border of the States does not necessarily mean the United States knows that I exist. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not entirely, you know, a bad thing. Yeah, I'm down with it. We have enough politician problems of our own. We don't need to add to the the fire. (laughs) Right, yeah. Boy, we got it going on. Not going to talk about it again like we did on Tuesday, but wow, we just, it's, I swear it's the funny papers. It's not really. It, it, how could it even be real? Wow. Comedy, <clears throat> satire, something. But are you for real said that? Oh wow. It's you know what? It's just all anecdotal evidence that God really does have a sense of humor. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. That's life. Well, anecdotal evidence. Father of our con- one of the fathers of our country, Benjamin Franklin, I believe, is the one that said beer was proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Absolutely. <laughs> Wine too. There you I, go. Sure, but. Yes. Well, of course. I mean. In and even Jesus approved of that because he turned water into wine at a wedding. So. There you go. Y'all can't. I can't have my favorite drink. Yeah, that one, I, I grew up Baptist, and that one used to blow up my Sunday school teachers and stuff, because I always asked that, you know, because it was a Baptist thing. You don't drink. Drinking's wrong. 
uh, even... Well, if we're not you know, allowed to drink, why did Jesus turn water into wine? We didn't even have communion. We had what was known as the Lord's Supper, and uh, and we had little biscuit and grape juice. That's awesomeness. Did anybody ever ask answer that question for you when you asked it? No, they got angry, but they never really answered it. Uh, one tried, said that wine, as referred to in that society, was really very low alcohol. It was just a way of preserving water. Yeah, I didn't okay. buy it either. Moving on. Okay. Next. <laughs> That's, where's the bump bump, really, when you need it? But, yeah, I didn't. But, you know, I, I give them a A for creativity and, and absolutely on that one. Absolutely, absolutely. Top grades for creativity and effort. Um, and and I don't know. Effort bonus under. points for best. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded convincing, you know. I bet it did. I bet it did. But didn't buy it. I'm sure it did. You know, next was the why no dancing thing, but that's even more ridiculous. So let's talk about spiritual growth instead of Funny papers. I don't know. Funny papers is good. I like to laugh, but they are indeed. All right. Well, we have back with us um, somebody who's been with us a few times now. Yes. Personal friend of mine and fellow author Robert Miller, and uh, he's just not just put out a new book, but it's just um, come out on Amazon. So uh, it's now easy to find, and uh, he's here tonight to talk about it and to tell us what the ultimate key is all about. And I'm Hi, on Robert. your latitude. I'm in the same latitude as you. Are you? Yes. So you're also to his left. Well, and a little, yes. And a little more towards the front. Right. And uh, I think we're about on the same latitude, and I'm only about 200 miles away. To these. Did you get that passport yet? Uh, still working on it. But <laughs> now that we got the job thing taken care of, those things will start to so, fall into place. Okay, perfect. So out. I can expect a, expect a surprise visit one of these days. Surprise, yeah. To my, to my mountain home. From one mountain to another. From one mountain to another, that would be awesome. Right, we, we can live compare on, notes. We live on Russell Mountain. Which happens to be my middle name. It's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. I have no cool. idea how the name of the road connects to me. I, um, oh yeah, it's Cuss, and I do have a potty mouth. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Cuss Road. Cuss Road. I suffer it's spelled K U S. Cuss Road. How it yeah. got that name? You know. How did it no. get that name? <laughs> I don't know. Strange, strange, strange names up here. I, I've seen touring through the mountains up here. I keep say, seeing names, and I'll look at them, and I go, wait, that name's Polish, except they changed a letter, and now it's not Polish. I don't know where half the names up here come from, but they're they're interesting. And um, Cuss, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Bodar. 
B O D O R. I don't know what that means either. You know, it's it's all weirdness to me. But it's mountain folk, you see. It's the the air up here. Uh, yes, yes, kind of thin. I know about that. <laughs> Got the same air here. In fact, it's your used air usually comes this way, so we get the downwind. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, Rick, I, I was raised Methodist, which isn't too far away from Baptist. Same neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, you know, with the same kind of restrictions and rules. And, you know, they, they didn't want us to have any uh, car washes in the church parking lot because they thought that was inappropriate. Ah. So. Were no, you allowed to no. have bake sales? No cleanliness. No, nothing. Could, couldn't do anything no on church property. No sales either? No, the only wow. thing we had was uh, we had missionary uh, night where they would have some kind of uh, refreshments from wherever the missionaries were, you know. If they were in Africa, they would have African food. and If they were in somewhere else, they had food from that location. But that's about it. So yeah, I, I, I um, we had off, uh, we had lock-ins where they would lock us in the gymnasium overnight. Oh really? And uh, <laughs> and they rented movies like uh, on sixteen millimeter film, uh, horrid things like yeah. you know Night at the Waxworks and you know right. those really classic. I I. I wouldn't want to insult the B movies by calling them B movies, but I guess they are. I don't see movies. Have we got those? <clears throat> but yeah, that I was also, uh, tremendous fun. I also didn't get questions. I asked too many questions and I didn't get answers, which really was the, kind of at the beginning of my whole quest because uh, being from a very devout Christian family, my great grandmother. Uh, my great-grandparents lived with me in the upstairs apartment, and she was like, you know, matron of the church and had all the medals and degrees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I started asking questions early on, and they were like, uh, it's not good to ask too many questions. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one too. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it got to the point where they said, you know, it's it's really bad to ask questions. You just have to accept what we tell you. And that, of course, really just, okay, now I to, now I really have to find out. You, know? you need to work on your faith. Right. Don't question God. Exactly. Like, what? And and I have to say, you know, and part of my story, the, the first half of my life, I was really looking for a scientific way to explain my religious belief. You know, and then somewhere around in my 20s, that flipped. And then I started looking for, you know, a spiritual explanation for the scientific. So it was like 25 years of looking for one explanation and 25 for the other. And then finally got to the point where uh, the, the famous quote from Descartes, you know, that says, if you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, all things. And when I reached that point, that's when I really began to know things, to, to understand, to become enlightened. The result, of course, is the book. I but, can't uh, understand how... I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm. 
I'm going to get stuck on this for a little bit. Um, what? How could... I'm I'm assuming you were a child when you were asking these questions, just like Rick oh, was. Yeah. So sure. how could they think that telling a child... you uh, The most curious beings in the world are children. And you could see that even, I mean, in your younger years, you can see it in puppies, you can see it in kittens, you can see it in, you know, baby bear cubs. It's a natural thing for a young anything to be curious. So how could you think that telling a child you can't ask that or you shouldn't ask questions would not kind of push them out of the nest, so to speak? I mean, that to me is like the ultimate recipe for disaster. It's like, okay, thanks for giving me the heads up, the warning, um, and my reason for seeking answers elsewhere, really. So is that normal? Like, do they – that's just how they run their – Sadly. In in retrospect, it's because they had doubt in themselves – that they were afraid to acknowledge. And you 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 punch that button really exactly. hard when you ask right. a question that yes. they probably somewhere find in themselves and don't have an answer to. Right. And it probably didn't help that, you know, uh I came from a family that was well known in the church and everything and so it was sort of like I wasn't just anybody <laughs> that they had to placate. It's like, oh, we can't say anything that's going to go back home and then come around again. You know, there's there's a politics involved. Yeah, well, there's oh, yeah. always politics in church. Sure. So um, that's fascinating that they couldn't they couldn't acknowledge the question in their own hearts mm-hmm. and reflected that onto you by disregarding your questions. Right. I'm well, fascinated it wasn't, by that. <laughs> it wasn't many generations ago that asking a question like that very many times, perhaps even once, might have gotten you wrapped across the knuckles. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, what did I miss, guys? Because I went to... And I, once, a, I, once upon a time, was, not too many generations ago, they tied you to a piece of wood and set you on fire. Yeah, so, right. Well, I remember that. But yeah. I, yeah. I was I was baptized a Catholic. I did my communion as a Lutheran, and right after my confirmation, moved on to the United Church where I taught Sunday school. And I'm not going to say that I agree with everything that the religions say, and I've had my run-ins with a couple priests in the past, but. The ones that were immediately involved in the church, I've never, um, I've never been in a situation where they just told me you have to take it on faith. Now they did try to dissuade me a couple times on my ideas, but they they did it through conversation. They didn't do it by just saying, "Well, you just have to believe what we tell you, and that's it." They would philosophize with me and, you know, actually discuss it and work it out. So I can't, I can't fathom this. I'm sorry, I'm stuck on it, but I just can't fathom anybody looking a child in the eye and saying you have to take it on faith, and that's it. how is that going to work? I'll stop well, now. 
Right. Just, well, uh, apparently it didn't work very well for either one of us. Not any of us, really. <laughs> uh, and for me, it all came to a head when I was in high school. And uh, the youth class, as we were called the youth class until we graduated high school and then we moved up to the adult part of the church, we actually had a separate room that was adjacent to the the regular church uh, area. And uh, we get trained, you know, learning about the Bible and, and about the church doctrines and that kind of stuff. And uh, one by one, all of my friends dropped out until it was just me and one other boy who was the deacon's son were the only ones left. It was like you you chased everybody else away, and now there's only the two of us. And I'm willing to – I mean I was a believer. I, you know, I mean I was a devout believer, but I had questions, and it's like, uh, you know, what's the deal? And then it finally all just came to a head, and they just – they pulled me into the into a room and just said, if you don't accept what we tell you to accept, you're out of here. And I just walked out. Said later. It's like, yeah, okay, well, that's fine. You know, uh, if you're not going to meet me halfway, then fine. You know, I'm, I'm going elsewhere. Yeah, but, you know, all so this was... what uh, drives somebody with that kind of background to focus on... Because I want to start with the first part of your life, to focus on science for your answers when you have right. such a strong spiritual background. Right, well... I I attribute that to my great grandfather, who was my my mentor when I was very young, in the single digits. Um, he was an electrical engineer, uh, and he was also a kind of a mystical person. He he taught me about astrology. He was into astrology, and uh, but he was also, uh, you know, an engineer and very scientifically grounded and. He taught me mathematics and reading and all that before I even went to kindergarten, really. Um, very patient man. I barely remember him because he died when I was like six. But uh, by, the damage was done. I was <laughs> I was already convinced that uh, you know the world could be explained with math and science, and I I enjoyed it. You know, I, I mean, I remember. Asking for a chemistry set, oh, maybe when I was seven or eight years old, and my parents were like, "You're too young for that, you know. Wait, wait ten years." And I was like, "No, I want it now." And eventually, they gave in, and uh, you know, I think and I don't know if I wrote left it in here. I have to tell you that I have to tell the listeners about the background of the, the penultimate key, the first attempt I made at, at telling the story. Uh, that was in 2009. Uh, but in, in that one, and perhaps later I'll tell the, the rest of the story, is that I used to go around my neighborhood and with my little wagon and pick out radios from the trash, take them back home, fix them, and then take them back to the people who had them. Hey, you want your radio back? I fixed it. And I didn't really care about money. I, it was just how I was helping my, my neighbor out. You know, and they would give me a couple dollars. I mean, like, really, one or two dollars. You know, <laughs> these are the days of tubes. Um, I just enjoyed fixing things and and playing with chemicals and doing chemistry experiments. And, you know, it was a, you know, simple, simplified level. 
But uh, so not I that mean, I, I want to not that I want to rob our listeners from the from the joy of actually reading the book um, and and steal away the answers. But how yes. how did that work for you? I mean, did science answer some of the questions that you needed answered? Well, and did it take you far enough in your journey to satisfy you, or? Well, maybe that's why the flip flop halfway through life. Right. You know, I mean. So right so far we got very parallel things going on. Yes, I mean, and from the very very beginning, I mean, the whole thing started with a question when I was five years old, and I was getting ready to go to school for the very first time. It was the end of the summer, you know, coming up on September, and I was contemplating. My life is about to change. I'm going to go to school, you know, and then I'm going to maybe go to college, but then I'm I'm going to end up, you know, having a family and then growing old and retiring, and then what? It's like, is that all there is? The question, the universal question, I didn't know, you know, just five <laughs> years old. Didn't yeah. know what I was asking, and... I, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to ask a question. I was five, and I, my mother picked me up from school one day, at noon, because we went half a day for kindergarten, uh, and um, and I noticed that there were other kids. Or, you know, I knew that the other kindergarten group arrived at noon. They did the second half of the day, but I had also noticed that all the rest of the kids stayed there all day. So I asked her, and I said, "So next year I go to school all day, and then I keep going to school." And I go to junior high, and then I go to high school. At each step, she says, yes. Then I go to college, she says, yes. And then I get a job. She says, yes, hopefully. And I looked her square in the eyes and said, oh, my God, I'm trapped. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of related to, you know, isn't there something more? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, you've got... My whole lifetime of hoops laid out for me? Woo. Okay, but usually when somebody asks, no matter what stage in their life, isn't there something more? When you ask that question, you get bombarded with signs and synchronicity. So you're five, dude. Like, I mean, not to be blunt, but what happened to you after that? I mean, it must be... It must have been an interesting adventure for a young mind because you always get an answer to that question, always. Well, you know, they, as I uh, was, you'll read about it when you, when you read the book, but I had right from the very beginning uh, what people would call paranormal experiences. I think the first one I write about it here, like I said, I, uh, I should pause here for a moment and say my first attempt at telling this story in 2009 I published the penultimate key second to the last key and it was everything everything from my whole 50 years of of quest and experience and really it was overload it was way too much it was like the war in peace of enlightenment and there was so much in there that was so intense and and painful that when people started to read it, they, they hit that and just couldn't read any further. And I learned from that lesson and said, ah, you know, really, this is a couple of major threads that all intertwine. They all began at that same moment 
of sitting in the dirt driveway of my, my house in Pleasantville, New Jersey, and asking that question. But then it was like there were three paths that I was traveling. The two major ones uh, were the quest for finding out what is it all about. Is there a scientific explanation that is also a spiritual explanation to the universe? And the second path being the path of enlightenment, of of getting to the point where you feel that you understand everything. The, the third path was actually the second half of that question, which I don't write about in volume one, which is the science and spirituality part. That was in context to why does the universe exist and why do I exist is what does it mean to be human as compared to being you know, a bug or a rabbit or a bird, you know, other life form, you know, it's, what's special about being human? And how does that, I mean, were we created to worship a God and that's our purpose? Or is that not our primary purpose? I'm like, well, what is it? So I decided to best tell the three different parts of this story is to write three volumes, one on each aspect of it, with the first being the the ultimate key because that's what really unlocked everything to me. Once I discovered, I guess you would call it the new physics, the physics of explaining science and spirituality in one unified way that explains everything, that kind of led to the other answers. So that's why the ultimate key for unifying science and spirituality is volume one and why I, sometimes I start talking about these other incidents, but they're not in this book. They're going to be in volume two or three. Um, That's so this okay. one, we want to keep people you know, coming back. Right. So I, I really focused on this and, and said, let me focus on this part of the quest, probably the most important part, uh, and, and perhaps the the most shocking things are in this book because – I mean, once I reached that point, I mean, I was having mystical experiences. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I have to look up to see. <laughs> in my own book, uh, what was that first one I wrote about in this one? Well, the question, of course, was the first thing I wrote about. And then I think I talked about uh, my first near-death experience. Uh, yes, which happened in July of 1962. I fell out of a tree, showing off for a little girl down the street, <laughs> I was interested in girls at a very young age, <laughs> and uh, fell, oh, I would say about eight feet, and landed on a concrete sidewalk head first. I still have the mark, actually, from that, and spontaneously just went right out of my body, and I was under the ground looking up at my body. And so you have experiences like that, and uh, you say, okay, well, what explained that? Did, of course, when you're that age, you don't know all the medical things. And later on, you know, there's rational explanations. Uh, my near drowning when I had another near-death experience. You know, oh, lack of oxygen. You know, but that's a rational explanation. But not every rational explanation is the correct explanation. Just because it's logical and rational doesn't mean that's that's the right one. I came to that conclusion. And also, I was having precognitive dreams, uh, dreams that, that came true, uh, premonitions. I could feel what other people were feeling, which got to be a problem because I didn't want to go 
into crowds of people because I would get overwhelmed and shrink, you know, into the fetal position because I was picking up on everybody's emotions. So it's like I had one foot in the world of spirituality and mysticism and one foot in the realm of science, and I was trying to rectify the two so my life really was reflecting my quest or my quest was reflecting my life. Hard to say. And, you know, that at first, like I said, I, I, I had strong Christian upbringing beliefs, and I was saying, well, there's got to be a scientific explanation for those miracles. You know, I was looking for... Uh, did an earthquake cause the great flood and, you know, that kind of thing. And the more I found out, the deeper you go into, you know, the Alice's rabbit hole, the more you find out that you wish you hadn't found out. Uh, and eventually it got to that point where I, I think the mystical experiences uh, reached a crescendo crescendo <laughs> um, and I only write about it partially because like I said I was trying to just include in this uh, volume what was important to this particular message um, but I I had an experience where I kind of had an out of body experience that lasted three days uh, that's that's you know something you don't forget very easily Um and when I came back, I I had all this information in my head. Well, it actually surfaced over a period of time. Then it all checked out. Like I said, hmm. you know, uh, while I was in this other place, I was told that there were three kinds of nuclear power. But I only know of two, fission and fusion. But I got the information later. There was a third kind that has to do with, with radioisotopes. But I hadn't known about it at least not consciously. And it's like, wow. So that was, everything was checking out. But this was leading me further and further away from the beliefs I had been instilled with from my childhood. And that was a pretty major conflict. I mean, I I fought against it. It was a real major point in my life. It actually happened over time. I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to give up on that because that can't be true and uh, basically I, I was trying to come to a point where I wasn't in conflict you know it was one conflict after another that uh, just made me realize oh well that can't be true uh, so if that isn't true then this must be true uh, you know, if A equals B, then B must equal A. And piece by piece, reached that point where uh, I discovered, uh, again through a mystical experience, uh, what I would call the the true physics of the universe, the the true cosmology, how the universe came into being, and how it works down to the minutest detail. And this, the the um, Experience of that happened uh, when I was blind. I actually had spontaneously gone blind out of nowhere. And uh, I was living in, with a roommate who took me across the street to an eye doctor because I was like totally blind. I just woke up that way and I was like scared and everything. And the doctor looked at my eyes and said, the lenses in your eyes are shattered. 
what happened to you? I was like, nothing. I went to sleep and I was perfectly fine. I woke up and it's like, I can't see. And he came up with some rational explanation uh, dealing with exposure to microwaves that happened seven years earlier. Uh, And I accepted that because what else could you do? But that led me to this profound experience that I had uh, where there's no other way to explain it. Uh, You become one with the universe. That that total unity, oneness with everything. You know everything. You're part of everything. It only lasts probably a billionth of a second, but it's so profound that you, you, it's difficult to explain, but I, I do my best <laughs> to explain that part. And that changed my life. Well, the near-death experiences were a major part of changed my life because once, you, once you've been dead <laughs> and you come back, you never quite see things the same way. And then when I had this experience, then I knew. It's like, okay, I have the basic rules of the universe. And I know why the universe exists and everything, so now what? And only after a long time did I say, well, you've got you've to pass this information on. You've got to let other people know about this. Because really, I hadn't thought about writing a book or anything to most of my life and most of these experiences. It was just all for me, and I kept it to myself. And very few of my friends even knew what was going on in my my first wife kind of knew some of it because she had been involved in some of that. I, I met her in junior high school. But uh, really, a lot of my close friends knew nothing about what was going on. They just said, you know, Bob, as they called me back then, or Bobby, he's just a weird kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's and, the weird uh, kid. So, right, now, weird kid. i got to ask because because we had we've had guests on um before that have had that really profound moment of connection however theirs was um you know, they were uh oh, freak what is the name of that oh DMT um it was it was assisted in their case uh, and so but i never got the chance to really ask the question how do you go to that space of total connectedness with everything right and then come back and do this mm. i mean wouldn't you be kicking and screaming and going hell no i want to go back <laughs> uh actually i did <laughs> Okay. No opportunity, really. <laughs> but yeah, so you, you look for the door. Yeah, you don't want to come back. You, it's just—it's so profound and so beautiful and feels so right that you just want to stay there. It's like no, this—this this is home. This is this is where I belong. And I'll, I'll be honest with you: for years after that, I struggled. Of why am I here? <laughs> In fact, I had that experience, every near-death experience pretty much I had, and I had a number of them, uh, starting with a drowning at nine years old and an electrocution at 15 or 16. When I came back, I was like, don't, no, I don't, I don't want to come back here. This is a bad place. You know, there's pain and, and fear and all that. I want to go back into the light well, again. That's, 
That's what I'm wondering, and I know it's a personal question, but screw that. It's a personal <laughs> book, first of all. It's a yeah. very personal oh. book. So, yes. and and this show is all about honesty and about, you know, helping others understand that they're not alone on that journey. So, you know, how much anger and resentment was there? Because I would think that I I only did a half-assed journey, and although mine was three months long where I was kind of floaty for three months, Coming back for me was I'm I'm still pissed, <laughs> yeah. even though I found purpose in it. But I'm still pissed that I can't find that. I can't get back into that space. I can't even fathom. I mean, that's probably why they sent you, not me, because I would have torn the world apart. Um, well, I think angry. I, I can answer. I, I can definitely answer that question because. It ties in why, after I took the penultimate key out of print, after it failed, <laughs> I don't mind admitting that, uh, and I said, okay, why did that fail? Because I thought my purpose was to pass this information on. And I guess what happened was I listened instead of talked. <laughs> and... And what I, when I listened to my own message, then finally I understood, you know, what it's all about. You still there? Oh, yeah. Okay. I heard a weird sound in my speakers. Um, and kind of like truly understanding not my purpose, but the purpose of the universe made the difference. How's that for profound, huh? <laughs> it, well, it wasn't profound. My, my, my purpose wasn't important enough for me. But when I found and discovered the purpose of the universe, that to me was worth staying here and saying, no, this is this is important. I mean, this is what really it's all about. It's the most important thing that, and when I, and when I wrote, I said, okay, I've got to take the message and split it up and write the different paths. You know, write, take all the stuff about humanity and put it over here, and take the path of enlightenment and put it here, and then write a book about, you know, the question of unifying science and spirituality, and it, it became the ultimate key at that point because. To me, it was the ultimate key to unlock everything is to realize, you know, why everything, why the universe even exists, you know. And I don't even know if explaining or telling people from my experience is enough. I think you have to experience it yourself. Ultimately, you have to reach that profound moment when it kind of clicks, you know, it's sort of like when you go to school and you're learning algebra and, the, and they're telling you and writing all this stuff on the board and you can see there's squiggles and numbers and all that, you know, but it doesn't click until someday, hopefully, whatever the subject is. All of a sudden you realize, ah, I understand. It's that eureka moment. Now yeah. I understand it all. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and I think we all have to have that moment and that's 
in actually volume two, I'm, I'm writing about um, that's the ultimate key, becoming self-enlightenment, becoming self-enlightened. And I call that Neopratyaka Buddha because there is a uh, a Sanskrit term called Pratyaka Buddha. And the Pratyaka Buddha is a person who be, who becomes enlightened on their own. They don't have a teacher or a guru. They don't follow anyone. They just reach it on their own, and they do not teach the Dharma. So they reach enlightenment, and they don't pass it on. And so in Buddha circles, <laughs> they're they're kind of revered, but then they're they're kind of like these guys are really weird because they got enlightenment and they don't want to really teach anybody. They want to share it, right? So I took that word and added neo, meaning new, and said, ah, we, because collectively we, are at that point where we are becoming, we're seeking self-enlightenment, and we're also helping each other. It's not a one-on-one, it's not a teacher-guru kind of thing. We are collectively yearning for, striving for, seeking enlightenment as a group as a civilization. And it, it, all you have to do is go out there and look at people. I mean, people are becoming less religious and more spiritual. That That's a fact. You know, re- Absolutely. And and the so, teacher-student dynamic has certainly changed. Um, yeah. One of so the we, best pieces I ever wrote was actually, you know, what happens when the student becomes the teacher. And that's exactly. happening more and more. And it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. Yes. dynamic between friends, between family, um, right. and you take the journey together as long as you need to take it together and then you move on and take it with somebody else, uh, right. and as long as you help each other to grow. But as soon as the two-way stops, then your journey together ends, and it's really interesting to see that compared to the traditional method of seeking these answers, which was to go to an enlightened master and study yes. for years and exactly. be But this is a new era that we're entering and I have a different take on the Mayan calendar thing December 21st, 2012. Um, I don't see it as an event. I see it as a, a period of time. We're, we're kind of like walking through the door. You know, the door is opening and we're walking through it but it's not going to happen in five minutes. It's not going to happen in five days or five weeks or five years. It's it's a process, and it may take centuries for it to fully take effect. But we're we're the vanguard. We're the beginning. We're watching the the new world, the new earth, the new universe being born. But it it's going to take a while for it to reach maturity, and we're the first ones to embark on this path with the first generation. So I kind of see this as, you know, hey, I'm not, even though I am, I have been a school teacher <laughs> and I've taught third grade and I've taught uh, graduate college, but it's like, no, I don't feel like I'm better than anyone else. I, I'm on the same level as everybody else. We're all in this together. And that's a message that's very important in the book. It's like we're all in this together and we collectively we have to help each other. And so my purpose out of all that is to just say, hey, here's 
what I found out. Here's my experiences. Take from it what helps you. You know, I'm not saying that what I'm doing is right for you. In fact, I know it isn't right for everybody. That's <laughs> when you get into the last chapter of the book, you start to understand that part. Uh, and I don't mind giving away things in there because I mean, that's, that's what I'm here for. Um, well, I hope you no. don't mind giving away things in there um, because, and and we'll get to this before, just before the end of the show. So, Rick, remind right. me to ask him again if you're willing, because one of my favorite parts of the book is probably the very last chapter yes. and that last message that you have to share. And I think it's ultimately the most important message um, that we could give to people out there. It was Elliot eloquently and brilliantly stated um, and and simplistically stated as well. So it was very easy to understand, um, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's it's a message that I think, if you're willing to share with us at the end of the show, I think that that really kind of encompasses everything we all do. Yes. Is that that final piece of the book that you wrote, your first book. Right. And that's what made this the ultimate key instead of the penultimate key. Because this happened in the period of time between 2009 and 2011 when I finally listened. You know, I I quieted my ego. And I don't have anything wrong with ego. I think ego is important. But, you know, I, I finally got to the point where I was quiet and I listened to my own message. And then I understood. And I was like, oh. And that became the last chapter. And I was like, you know, this book, the one I'm holding in my hand right now, The Ultimate Key, this is the true book that I should have written the first time. I, I You know, it's like I believe in this one. Like this, this is the real thing. I mean, this represents 50 years of my life, many painful experiences and excruciating, you know, just soul-wrenching times that I went through. It was all worth it in the end because this, I feel, is something worthwhile giving to my fellow travelers, my fellow seekers out there. Say, here's something that may enlighten you. It may. (laughs) Well, that's always the case. It it may. There's enough experience going on that there's there's bound to be experiences that just almost don't relate at all. So You know, and there's a lot of people that are sensitives. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of like we're all being born now. You know, and there's many words for this phenomenon. Some people call them star seeds, star children, indigos. I mean, there's a lot of different terms. I, I think... Uh, words can limit you. You know, you you can be too narrow in a definition. So I I try to get away from that whenever possible. And words can also be very descriptive. And I just recently discovered that Nikola Tesla, who really was a genius of his times from the late 1800s all the way to 1940s, and and gave us our our power generation system that we use today, 60 hertz alternating current, 50 hertz, 60 hertz. But power generation, and, and of course people know from the Tesla coil, but 
that was really a minor thing compared to the, you know, the patents of dynamos and generators. I mean, he built Niagara Falls generating station. He was also what you would call a star seed. I mean, only when you read about his personal life do you see, and I'm going, hey, he was going through a lot of the same things that I went through about being very Isn't sensitive. Isn't fascinating? You know, Tesla's I mean, story is crazy when you read his biography. Sure. Absolutely. It's insane. The synchronicities. Yeah, yeah. I agree exactly with what you're yeah. saying. I totally feel so, what you're saying. It's like, you know, and I've met many people. Uh, I went through a period that's not in, in this volume, but it will be in the, in the third volume. I met a lot of people when I was working. Uh, I was working in banking and security. <laughs> and uh, I was meeting uh, people who said, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I've heard that so many times in my life. I think it should have a tattooed somewhere on me. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to tell you something very personal on how we go. Yeah, because I always respected people and you know took this reverently and, and, and with honor. But my child is having nightmares. You know, he wakes up screaming in terror in the middle of the night, and somehow I think you can help. And I'm like, wow, why me? You know, I'm just here working on a bank vault, you know? But I actually met some of these children, and universally, I, they were indigos, or whatever you want to call them. And they all told me the same thing. You know, uh, one that I do write about uh, is, uh, I think he was maybe 10, and I went to visit, and uh, was a single mother. And she said, oh, well, he's really shy, and you may not even see him when you're there, you know. But he came over to me. He sat on my lap. I mean, the mother's mouth dropped open like, whoa, he's never done this to anyone ever. You know, not even his own father when he visits. He doesn't get chummy, you know. And he put his arms around me and whispered in my ear that he said, I, I can't tell them, but I can tell you that I'm dreaming about being a spiritual warrior in the future. And that's why I wake up screaming. And I was like, wow. And he said, you know, I know you're here to help me. And I was like, well, I don't know what I can do really. You know, and we had a conversation and that's it. I, I never saw him again. But um, I knew I th that. I think you know, really all all we can do, because I've had, I've had similar experiences with young children um saying you know uh, they'll they'll talk about you know things that they've seen or experiences that they've had but I can't tell mom kind of thing and the only thing that we can do is tell them that it's okay yeah that they're not I crazy think. yes and that to follow their own heart and to trust their instincts and that they'll know when the right time to start exploring that part of their life is. Because yep. what other choice do you have? Right. And I took it as symbolic because dreams are, you know, mostly symbolic. And it's like, well, only years later did I realize, well, yeah, I mean, we're talking about the time post-2012 when really – you know, we're in a spiritual struggle right now. I mean, people can characterize it as financial or whatever, but our entire civilization is struggling for direction and purpose right now. And people are struggling for 
spiritual understanding. And the two are not unrelated. You know, it's all one thing. You know, we've only come so far, and now we have to take a different path. That's what the Mayans were trying to tell us. You know, it's time for a a shift in in the entire Earth. Time to way, play a new game. It's time time for a new game. Time for a new way to look at it because we are destroying ourselves. I mean, we've known this from what the sixties. <laughs> I know, you know, uh, back in the seventies when I was in high school, we were talking about it. But what have we really done about it? We've talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And, you know, there's been little furtive steps and movements, but we've, we've all got to work together. And, of course, that's bringing me to the end message. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Well, why don't we take a well, break? You know, sure. Yeah. Um, we could take a quick musical break, and then we'll come and we'll talk about we'll, that end, end message. Yeah, be able to give it its own little highlight period. Uh, because Gene doesn't get that excited about many things. <laughs> well, it's 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 a bloody brilliant end to a book. Like well, I'm just gonna, I might as well be honest about it. And it has nothing to do with him being my friend or not. Because if it sucked, I'd tell him. Because he's particularly about writing. You, you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You you don't mince hairs with and he, people about their writing. You really don't. No, not not about art, because you know, I mean, why why would you why would you lie to somebody about that? I would hope that people would tell me if my stuff sucked. <laughs> you know, as oh, an author, me. you need. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. No, I, I okay. love your work. Yeah, we, you know that. You need feedback. Um, be it positive or negative, you need honest feedback. So. You know, and I think any artist worth their salt would say that that they would rather have Absolutely. an honest hey, people response were honest to with, their work with, than, with the penultimate key. Exactly, and look what came out of it. The the yeah. end to this book that you this, this the ultimate key. I loved the book. I read it in one night. Wow. I started it early, and um, I. I think I read till like three or four in the morning. Wow. It's probably one of those days where I didn't show up to talk to Rick the next day. But <laughs> it was the it was the last chapter, that last message that got me and that's why I want you to talk about it because I remember putting it down, going to sleep, feeling very happy with what I had just read and I picked it up again the next night and I reread the last chapter before I went to bed. Wow. So I highly recommend this book. I do. Well, on that note, we should take our break. And then yeah. Back. We'll come back and we'll, we'll have everybody salivating by the time we get back. This is good. <laughs> this is really good. And, you know, it's how uh, they do it on TV, right? We get, a, get them exactly. all hooked on the cliffhanger and then uh, we'll be back after this station <laughs> identification. <laughs> Got to say it exactly that way too. You sort of have to hold. Sure. I have to hold my head crooked when I talk like that. I can't do that standing straight up and down. It's weird. Well, remember, I worked in radio. I didn't work in TV. Right, right. So it's, it do strange faces and things to make. <laughs> it's ah, it's legalized insanity, as Robin Williams calls it. I like it. Um, okay. What do you want to hear, Shane? I don't know. Um. Well, you know what? I think. I think. The Age of Aquarius would be appropriate. Okay. 
Yeah. There you go. We're talking about. Still, again, look at us. I know. Imagine that in the year 2012 and all of our guests we've had. (laughs) All right, folks. We'll be back. Play it again, Sam. Stay with us. Everybody has a story, a moment in their life that was a turning point that set them upon a path of self-discovery and adventure. Here at Everyday Connection, we value the sharing of those moments, recognizing them to be the inspiring and uplifting gifts that they truly are. We would like to show our appreciation, not just to our guests and sponsors, but to our listeners and supporters who make it possible for us to share those stories. If you would like to support the continued success of Everyday Connection, share your own story, or know somebody whose story can touch the hearts of others, drop by everydayconnection.me and find out how you can become a part of our ever-expanding EC family.
funky. It just stops, too. It's kind of cool, but caught me by surprise it for does. a long time. just goes... I noticed that it. you uh, slid that switch over in there a little early. You're trying to catch me sitting it again, weren't you? I, yeah, I, I actually didn't think mm-hmm. about it, but uh, yeah, maybe. But um, Bad boy. I was just trying to be sure I didn't miss it. I was like, is it th- mm-hmm. it's this one? No. It's this no. Finally, I was just like, oh, turn it on. Because <clears throat> I mute us, everybody, when, you know, we're gone. I have the switchboard, and I actually didn't make it back in time one time, and <laughs> nobody could say, I'm sure Rick will be right back, because everybody goes on mute when I go on mute. I am the master of the universe. Uh-huh. Master of your own universe, perhaps. As we all or are. Or the radio show universe, anyway. The one in the funny place. <laughs> says small so, universe, the radio show universe. Small Is universe. Say, uh, radio show. Is this mic on? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> this thing I'm working? <laughs> Hello? So there's uh, some guy here talking about some book that he wrote, and uh, I, I don't know. something about that. Yeah. People are talking. People are. Well, they will be. Even more. Certainly. We're, we're going to let the cat out of the bag. Gonna we're going to tell you the Absolutely. ending. Right, the, the so, um, ultimate secret. The ultimate answer gonna... to the ultimate question. <gasps> and it's not 42. I thought it was 64. Oh, it's yeah, 42. You know, 42. Well, remember, sure the, important 42? Thing is, the important thing is the question. You have to really understand the question to understand the answer, according to the late yes, well. Mr. Douglas. Yes, Indeed. well. Best laid plans of mice, you know. Right. So what is the ultimate question, and well, just, uh, what is the ultimate answer? Just like Deep Thought, the computer in uh, The Checker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, Douglas Adams had said, you really have to understand the question, <laughs> right? And Absolutely. Now, my question, which... Oh, I, you know, I have to say that uh, someone that I I let read the, the first copy of the book, they said, I don't believe you. I was like, what do you mean? You don't believe me? And they said, well, nobody remembers things like this from when they were five years old. And I... I was like, well, I do. And not only that, but I I kept journals. I mean, ever since I was in grade school, I still have some of the pages, actually. After this much time, most of them have disappeared, deteriorated, whatever, but I still have some. It's like, no, all through grade school and high school, I was writing this stuff down because it was important to my quest. And that particular moment is so burned into my memory that I can relive it. Exactly as it happened, it as if it happened yesterday. And um, so a neurologist that I was talking to once uh, said that the bump that I got on my head when I fell out of the tree may have done something to my amygdala, which enables me to have recall of moments in my life that are connected to emotional events that are uh, you know what they call uh, what they call that memory 
you know, where you can recall everything. Oh. Uh, photographic? Yeah, like I, a photographic memory. Eidetic memory. Right, but only, memory. Right, right, exactly. But only things that are that have an emotion, because that the amygdala deals with the with the fight or flight syndrome, and so right. I have the instant recall from emotional moments, and of course that was one of the emotionally charged moments, and I can relive it at any time, in every detail, even right now I I can see it in my mind. So I don't know, but anyway, that that question, but you know I had asked. Uh, you know, is this all there is? Do you just you're born, you live for a while, you die, maybe have kids? So that's what? it, you know. And, and then what? Um, and then, uh, you know, as I got into Sunday school, which I regularly went to Sunday school growing up, you know, and I, of course I asked that question, and they said, oh, it's right there, you know. Um, you go to heaven if you're good, and you go to hell if you're bad. Uh, but when I read the Bible. And I was reading the King, King James Version. And hey, remember, my great-grandfather taught me to read when I was four years old. So, I mean, when I was in first grade, well, not first grade. When I was in third grade, I got caught reading Catcher in the Rye, which was a big no-no. <laughs> you know, it's a high school-level book, and it's naughty stuff you shouldn't be reading in third grade. Uh, <laughs> and so I could read very well at a young age and I'm reading there I say you know I can't find that in my Bible where where is it where does it say that and actually doesn't it doesn't say that you go to heaven no. nowhere in there it actually says and there's one point where somebody and I can't I used to remember the exact first chapter but I don't remember off the top of my head somebody asks what happens when you die and and the the answer was you go to Abraham's bosom but Abraham's bosom, the, the uh, Hebrew word for that is a place name, not a person's name. So it's a it's like a holding area, what they used to call Hades. You know, it, it's sort of, well, you go to a place where the dead wait for Judgment Day. It's like, except for the 144,000 saints who go directly to heaven. But, you know, they're kind of special. But everybody else just kind of waits until Judgment Day. They read that in Revelation. So it's like, wait a minute, you're telling me one thing, and then I have to come back to you and question it, and then you're telling me, oh, no, you know, we told you what, a lie? Uh, wait, <laughs> you know, this made me question everything. Uh, it was disconnects like that that really propelled me along my path that says, okay, i got to find out what's really going on. I can't trust these people to tell me the truth, you know. Um, but really the question was valid not only for me but for the pro- probably billions of people who have asked it over millennia, you know, why do I exist? You know, what is my purpose? What is, you know, the purpose of anything, of everything? And in order to answer that question, you have to know the origin of everything. And that was where my quest led me, back to the origin of the universe, the real origin of the universe. And as I said, once I rejected everything, I said, I reject all the scientific stuff and I reject all the religious stuff that was given to me. I'm starting fresh, clean slate, and I'm going to find out what's what I feel in my heart is true and follow that. And then I'm going to double check it. I'm going to check it on the scientific side and I'm going to check it with my spirit. And only if it agrees on both sides, because anything that doesn't, that can't be explained by both sides, it's got to be incomplete. And I reached the conclusion 
that there was an origin for the universe that preceded the Big Bang. That something happened before the actual physical universe was created, which you know I, I read about in Chapter Five, which the penultimate key. And what existed before the universe? Question, of course, that you're eventually led to. And that to me, well, what existed before the universe was literally everything and nothing. Because nothing existed, and yet everything, it was the seed of everything. And in my book, I call this unity, and I found out that I'm not the only one who believes that this unity is the sum of everything, everything that ever was, everything that ever will be, and that the universe, the physical universe that we are in right now is a part of that. It's not separate from it, and we are a part of it. We're not separate from it. We are tiny little pieces of the cosmic all, of the unified everything, but what's the purpose of it all? And that is where we get to chapter 6. The purpose of the universe. What I've spent 50 years of my life looking for and what came to me in a matter of a billionth of a second when I found myself part of it, really part of it, uh, now I understand that it is an altered state of consciousness. You know, that, And that's what you were talking about you know, when you were in your three months of altered state of consciousness, you know. Um, mm. But then what is consciousness? Science doesn't know what consciousness is. There's no part of the brain that correlates to consciousness. And they've looked for it. They've studied they've it. They've done you know, <laughs> MRIs and everything, and they can't really explain consciousness. And I know now, and I explain it very well in the book, and I even give you a Venn diagram, that consciousness is the product of a body, a, a physicalness, and a spirit. That the two overlap to form consciousness. Consciousness does not exist in a place. It is a non-localized phenomena, kind of like a quantum wave, if you would look at it from the scientific point of view. We have a subconscious mind, which is part of our brain. It's it's like our built-in little supercomputer, our programmable computer is our subconscious mind. It's driven from the body's need to survive, and it's it's got imperatives: breathe, beat the heart, keep the blood pressure, temperature. You know, it, it's sort of like our biomechanical device that keeps us surviving, and it has imperatives that say eat. You know, you've got to eat, you've got to breathe, and you've got to procreate. All those things are coming from our body, our physical selves. But then, there's got to be more, of course. There is what I call the unconscious mind. And that, people will call spirit. It doesn't exist in the physical world. It exists in another set of dimensions, which I won't go into because then I'll get too complicated. But it is scientifically explainable. And it has imperatives, too. And these are the imperatives of the purpose of the universe that kind of filter down through our particular karma into my individual drives to 
experience things in life and your particular drives to experience things in life. And that's what the common denominator is. The thing that ties us all together, not only you and me and all the other humans on this planet, but all life in not only this universe, but the multiverse. The purpose of literally everything, everywhere, anytime, all universes, the whole of creation forever comes down to one thing. And we're all a part of it. I'm telling you, when I found this out, this is that moment, you know, that you have to experience on your own. I'm, I'm telling you about it, but until you experience it on your own, you you can't really fathom the depth of this. Of you know, what does this mean? Or the simplicity. Yes, um, I talked about unity, and that unity, that you would call it energy or whatever that exists outside of the universe, before the universe and after the universe, because the end of the universe is the same as the beginning of the universe. The Big Bang is also at at the end of the universe and the beginning of the universe, because the universe is finite. It's it's a loop. It's a circle. Um, Not only this universe, you know, but all possible universes. And this unity people call God, but I don't like to use words that restrict thinking because I came to the conclusion actually many years ago that God isn't a human male form. You know, that actually he can't be because he's got to represent everything, all life. It's not George Burns? Right, you know. um, It's got to be... He's got a tra- he, I say, see, by it's hard to get out of that, transcends sex, male and female, because how do we know those are the only two sexes in the universe? But it more. just seems a little impersonal. Right, it seems impersonal. It, uh, you know, and yet we're all part of it in, in some way. All. All. Yeah, all. Works. Right. But Everything. The, I am. Right. And when you Which think is of, in the Bible. Oh yeah. I've got to point that out. Absolutely. Specifically says, in fact, mm-hmm. when asked by Moses, what yeah. am I to call you? Yes. When I explain that I've had this conversation. Tell them that I am that which I am. Yep. Exactly. Very basic uh, answer. Same kind of answer that yep. Jesus was sure. giving the guys in the courthouse. Are you the yep. king of the Jews? Are you this? Are you this? Are yep. you that? I am that I am. Got him in trouble. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. So I realized that, you know, what's then the common denominator for all life everywhere in every universe, aliens on distant worlds and galaxies that we can't even imagine over billions and trillions of years, infinity of time? What could possibly be one thing that ties us all together? Everybody Everything, everything that's ever been alive, everything in every universe, what could possibly be the common denominator? And then it it came to me, and it was so profound and beautiful that I, I just was like, wow, you know that's it. It's got to be the experience of life. The simplest thing 
but it's the one thing that we all have in common to to an infant that only lives a few minutes and then dies, to a person who lives 120 or 130 years, to beings out there in the universe that may live for thousands of years, to everybody on this planet, no matter what they do, what they did, what they thought, who they were with, what occupation, the only thing that every living thing in the universe has in common is that we experience life. And why? Because what can what else can come out of experiencing all things in all possible ways, which is what the stage of the universe is for? If you experience all things, every nuance of everything in every possible way, you create a perfection of experience. And that is the secret. That is what everything is. That's what unity is. Unity is pure perfection. Unity has experience. Total perfect understanding. Per- total perfect understanding of every nuance of life, every emotion, emotions that we can't even imagine because they're aliens. You know, love in every possible way, hate in every possible way. Victim, victimizer. Right. You know, it's murderer, the ultimate murderer. karma. I mean, think about karma. You know, you're balancing karma. First, you know, you stab your wife, and then you come back in another life, and then she's the husband, and she stabs you. You know what I mean? It's like, well, that seems kind of pointless unless there's a bigger reason. Well, the bigger reason is that you're – we all choose what filters down through the collective unconscious into our individual souls, into our individual minds and bodies. We take a piece of that huge task – of which all the universes, the multiverse, were created, we are experiencing that little piece of unity in order to create it, in order to be a part of it. So everything that happens to you has a divine purpose. Whether you experience pain or joy or whatever, whether you're a rice farmer or a destitute person living in the street or a multi-billionaire, it's all part of the collective experience of the unconscious. We all have a divine purpose, and that divine purpose is whatever we do, whatever our life takes us. And just like our body has drives to push us to eat and all that, our spirit, the unconscious mind, the part of the collective, is driving us to have certain experiences, have certain relationships, do certain things. You know, that's why, you know, you live your life and you do certain things and I live my life and do certain things. And yet we have some things in common because we're all connected to that collective at some point. It's working through us. We are all on a divine mission and that divine mission is whatever we do. No matter how long or short our life, no matter what we do, that's why we're here. And it all has to do with creating the perfection of unity, of oneness. And we are never, ever separated from it. And judged by self or others to be good, bad, indifferent, dark, right. light, yeah. some shade of gray. What yeah. is it? Fifty shades of gray? Fifty 30, shades of gray. Some kind yeah. of book. Um, and, you know, and there's another layer to this. And it's all required. I still haven't read that book. Right. If anybody the, the, wants to send me a copy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Me too. The I last layer. 
the last layer of that is that the consciousness that you are right now never goes away because energy cannot be created or destroyed. It only changes shape. The energy of our consciousness goes back into the collective when we die. You know, and eventually, through the eons of time, through infinity of time, we experience every other consciousness that has ever existed in all the multiverse. So at some point in infinity, you live my life. I live your life. I live Rick's life. Rick lives the life of the Pope. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, you experience yeah. every consciousness because we all join with unity at the end of the universe. We all become part of that collective, unified perfection of every experience ever. And, and so... It's so part and parcel to compassion to me. Yeah. Whether you see somebody starving or you see somebody that's wealthy and thinks that everybody else is uh, dependent on the government, worthless, no good. All those experiences are required, and I'm almost in the position these days to where I look at something like that and I, bless you, brother. Yeah. Because that must suck. That must be tough. I'm glad that you're doing that. I'll read about it later. Exactly. Except it's it's more intimate than reading. It's experience. And somewhere along the line, in the infinity of time, you will experience that life. You will experience everything. You will be the person who gets shot in the head. You will be the person that shoots that person. You know? Because from the standpoint of the universe, from unity, from perfection, there is no good or bad. There just is. Yeah. There's no good or evil. There's no light or dark because unity is everything. It is light and dark. You can't have light without dark and you can't have dark without light. They are two sides of the same coin. And ego and evil is a relative thing. been saying that a lot lately to people. You know, I mean, did Hitler think he was evil? No. He thought he was doing a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, you can I say that about it. I all the time about the, you know, you want to get mad at the GMO scientists. Right, they think sure. they're feeding the world. Exactly, it's all relative. You know, which don't get angry the, at them if you, you don't have to eat their food if you don't want to. Right. But I mean, relativity is one of the basic laws of the universe that you know is in there. It's like all things are relative, and if if I am right, I believe I am, but uh, you know, it's all relative. Then, when you look at all the lives out there, you know. The, the saying goes, there but for the grace of God goes me, you know? But it's like, but there for the grace of God is me. Does go me. Someday, that does go, I will be that person. I will be this person and that person and every person. I will have lived every life. I mean, imagine that. I mean, there are some horrible lives out there. There are people who have died horrible deaths. And yet someday you will be that person and you will experience that firsthand. Your consciousness will Dude, be Dude, you get to be body. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And Buddha. And Krishna. And Hitler. And Hercules. <laughs> and, I mean... Everything you can imagine, and and even more right. than that, because, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that you can't imagine no. non-existence. So right. if you can imagine it somewhere, that's a reality. Because right. And that is in, in the book in a different place where I talk yeah. about the structure of the universe is uh, six-dimensional. 
the three physical dimensions that we are aware of are equally balanced with three non-physical dimensions. It's perfect symmetry. There's no need for uh, seven, eight, nine, fourteen dimensions, as some super string theorists have purported, and less than six doesn't work because then we don't have symmetry. We know there are three physical dimensions. There, that's obvious. And the fact that there are three non-physical dimensions to balance them out is like, wow, once you realize that, it's like, oh, three non-physical dimensions, and those dimensions are basically variations of time, your temporal dimensions. I call them possibility, probability, and uh, what did I call the third one? Certainty. <laughs> um, but everything that happens is on a curve of probability. You know, every millisecond, every billionth of a second that happens, it, it there's a probability and a possibility that things are going to go left or right or straight or you know, there's a momentum to the universe that's carrying us along this particular curve because the universe is curved. The universe cycles back. It's a circle. So eventually it's going to come to unity and everything that happens in the universe guarantees that's going to happen because it's already happened. Because unity exists outside of time and space in the universe. There's nothing outside of the universe. Not even time. Everything is contained in this this universe. So we travel through. We're, we're time travelers. We're traveling through space and time all the time, and realities. You know, every decision you make, you're going down a different path of reality. That's that everyday connection. That every moment, it. every moment is a choice. And. You got it. And I don't invalidate anyone's choice, but I do say if you believe, desire, have interest in your life being different than it is, then you've got to make different choices. And Absolutely. Oh, and, and I, I want to make sure I mention. So you can experience what you hope to experience, what you need to experience. Uh, I, I want to make sure I mention something before... We uh, end. Okay, mention. Um, one of the most important concepts to understand in this whole thing about uh, what I call it, we're all in this together. You know, that we all have a part to play in the experiential, you know, uh, path of the universe in order to create unity, to be part of unity. That means that some people out there have to be. Christians, some people have to be Muslims, some people have to be Buddhists, some people have to be atheists, some people have to believe in nothing. Some, you know, I mean, there some has people to be have to be the I don't care. Exactly, that's all Which part of it. Which is why the diversity is so important, right. and should and be so, celebrated, not yeah. um, exactly why not any fought attempt, against. any attempt right. everything to make everybody the same will fail. It, it always has. Always yes. has. Which, it always will. I'm telling you, that's it what always will. What was that called? A uh, thinking oxymoron, but it, it's a catch-22. I said, well, if that's true, then isn't your message telling people, well, this is the way it really is? But what about the people who aren't going to believe that? It's like, ah, <laughs> you know, uh, just really twisted my brain until I finally realized, oh, but of course, duh. The only people who are going to get this message are the ones who were meant to get it. And the ones who aren't meant to get it won't get it. Period. It's like, don't worry about it. The universe will take care of it. That's the way the universe works. 
Just put it out there. The people who are looking for this will find it, and the people who aren't won't. Just let Another, it be. Just, just, and that is, in the final end, what life is really meant to be. You are just meant to be. That's it. And you have, you know, desires about what to do. Sure. And um, that's why I, I think that you see so much guidance in the form of, you know, follow your passion, follow your, yeah. follow what comes. Right. So I can't tell anyone, you know, what they should believe. <laughs> I wouldn't. I. I, I it's like, no, I don't want to tell you what to believe. You believe whatever your heart tells you to believe and follow your heart because, you know, your spirit is leading you to wherever experiences you're supposed to have. But I'm always, you know, pleased to meet other people who say, wow, that was, you know, you really helped me in this or that. or You know, I understand this now. It's like, great, you know, and I've already had that happen. I had someone who I gave an early copy to the book before it got on Amazon. And they said, I changed their life. I said, no, I didn't change your life. You changed your life. You changed your life when you learned something. I just happened to be the messenger. And I well, said, and, and there's a lot of messengers out there. Everybody's, why so many books? Right. Well, it's like, I used to work as an algebra tutor. Well, how many people are there? Well, yeah, exactly. as an algebra tutor, what I did was... Oh, so my algebra thing was really on target, wasn't it? <laughs> right, right. I, I I tutored high school kids. I was registered with the college tutor department and everything. You know, you called up the college, said, "Do you got kids that tutor?" And they said, "Yeah, we got this weird kid, Rick, over there." And and the way I looked at it, and the only thing that was ever successful was to just I I would always look at the way it had been explained to them, but there's no point in saying that again, right? Because they didn't get that, so. I would just I would explain it differently, and it, it, if I'd get part way down that primrose path and see that glazed look, I'd back up and do it again. Right, and that was the path. only talent that I saw that was applicable to doing that was just finding different ways to say it until yeah. one of them rang their bell. Right, and your thing that you're supposed to do will ring your bell. Exactly. No. Jean's been right. popping in and out. I see that. Here at the end. She does that sometimes. It's up in the mountains, satellite yeah. uh, satellite internet. Oh, they yeah. see there, she's back again. Yeah. <laughs> thing are we? She's she's uh yes. George in and out. No, the times, the times I'm surprised I'm not really the end of the show. Um So there hot. it is, people. It's yeah. out there on Amazon in five countries. Germany, France, Spain, Italy, India, the UK, and North America. Seven countries. You have Amazon where you are. They have the book. Right. And you have the links somewhere. I sent you the links. Yes. Links are uh, up in the chat room. They'll be up in the archive. And it's on iBookstore, and it's on the Barnes & Noble Nook in the e-format. So, I mean, it's – and it's also on uh, Kindle. Links up because we're – uh, affiliates to several of those places. Uh, yes. In the hopes of, you know, supporting the show and keeping it going. Right. And, and it's uh, cheap. It's only well nine ninety five US. I mean, for the secrets of the universe, ten bucks. Jeez. Ten no, bucks. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> cheap for knowing everything. You know. Could, could have gone crazy and said, "Oh, forty two bucks. That's what. Yeah. yeah meaning in the 42. universe. There it is. Forty two. 
No. Hey, I'd sell for forty two cents, really. It doesn't matter to me. The the only what's really important to me is to get it to the people who are looking for it. That and that's all I want. It's that that's my purpose. If I get this out to people who find value in it, then I have succeeded beyond my wildest dreams. Absolutely. It's... And now that that uh my wife Sheila has got the, the job of a lifetime, we can now afford to build our spiritual retreat in the mountains that we've been dreaming about for 20 years. So we're going to make we're going to have to have you back again to talk right. about the, the the retreat as it progresses and the right. and the books because you know sure it, it, well volume two reason this says volume one and, right and volume two is coming out I'm working I'm almost done actually the Neo Prat Yakabuda self enlightenment is uh, just a couple months away from publication and. Um, the third oh, one, uh, right, volume three, you know, which I don't really have a title for, but it's a, you know, what does it mean to be human? That's going to be where the, all that really intense, raw, sexual stuff is. You know? <laughs> where the rubber meets the road. That, you got it. That, that sounds like a good title. What, it, yeah. what, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Well, that was the question. What are you saying all about, like, really? What is that all about? But we'll have to have you back so that we can talk about that again. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, even with the meaning of the universe understood, this whole what's it mean to be human thing is still a little bit, you know, down in there. Absolutely. It's a multi-layered thing. Multi-dimensional thing, people might say. <laughs> oh, Chucky e. darns. Uh, we have a calendar. We have a hole in our calendar. We still don't, I still don't really know what that's about. But we have no guest for next Tuesday. Really? Um, and not for lack of attempts, but uh, I even tried to rush David Cole in there, and he actually wants to come in mid-November. So, uh, But we do have Ron Lewis uh, joining us on that Thursday. So, uh, And I'm certain that we will talk about something and have a great time on Tuesday. I mean, the world's not going to end between now and Tuesday, so... I'll be listening in. You know, something grand will happen. It happens every Tuesday and Thursday. But you better, yeah, spit out that last line, dude, before my internet cuts out again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Y'all have a great weekend. Join us next week. And until then. Hello? Hello. And until then. Oh, she's gone. You would say, stay connected. Good night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection.
So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See Jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See Jared.com slash price match for details.